Today we'll be continuing our sermon series, The Storyteller. And today we're going to be dealing with what is salvation and what is grace. Uh, they're two foundational things to Christianity. Uh, but what are they? They're words that get thrown around a lot, uh, but not often do we really sit there and ponder and think about what they mean. Um, now, growing up, I was actually not a fan uh, of grace or salvation, not so much in the religious sense, but in the sense of uh, when it came to, to criminals. When it came to criminals or anybody who did the wrong thing in any way, I always wanted to see them punished to the utmost degree, whatever that was. Uh, even when I was watching The Lion King as a little kid, and at the end when Simba has Scar under his paw, and he could sit there and he could easily kill him, I'm sitting there screaming, Do it, Simba! Do it! Kill him! He deserves it! He killed your father! He wanted you! To die, you luckily escaped, but you spent your whole life banished. Kill him. Do it. It is just. That's what should be done. And I was disappointed when Simba lets him up and lets, lets him off the hook. And of course, the hyenas end up killing him, and I celebrated that, but I always felt that Simba should have done it. I was like, come on, Simba. Uh, in the research yard about, when I was about the same age, uh, there were, the game to play was giant square. It was just like four square, only the, there were only two squares and they were much bigger and it was one on one instead of four of you going at once. Well, I was in second grade and some fifth graders had gotten the, the, the ball first and were on the court and they wouldn't let the second graders play with them. I was like, come on guys, that's not right. And the right thing for me to do would have been to go tell the teacher. All right, go tell the gym teacher that, hey, they're not letting us play. But I knew that the gym teacher would only come over and he wouldn't punish them in any way other than to, you know, he would have made them let us play with them. And I didn't think that was a severe enough consequence for these fifth graders saying we couldn't play with them. I thought that they shouldn't be allowed to play. So I, I sort of was sitting around waiting for the right time and all of a sudden the ball came out of the court right to me. And so I picked the ball up and I booted that baby right out of the recess yard, over the fence, across the street. I said, you're not going to let me play, then you can't play either. Now, I knew that that was the wrong thing to do, was to take justice into my own hands there. And the fifth grader, uh, there was one of them particularly who had been mean to us, and he came up to me and he pushed me. And I didn't take that very well, so I punched him. And then he punched me, and then the next thing you know, you know, the fight's really on, the gym teacher separated us, and I'm sitting outside the principal's office. The fifth grader had, had to go in first. That door opens up, and Mr. Mikowski, the principal, says, David, come on in and sit, have a seat. So I sit down. And all of a sudden it hits me. I'm in big trouble. I did the wrong thing and I deserve to be punished. Whatever it is, I deserve to be punished. So I start to cry. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm seven years old. Like, oh man, whatever he, he does, he could do a ton of things to me. Whatever he does, I deserve it. I did the wrong thing. And as I'm sitting there crying, he said, David, calm down. Said, You're not in trouble. What are you talking about? I'm not in trouble. 
I took a fifth grader's ball. I kicked it across the street. Then we had a fight. All of this was against the rules. I said, you're not in trouble. What you did wasn't right, he told me. He's like, but I'm going to give you another chance. I think you're going to do the right thing next time. And for the most part, after that I did. You know, I still, still made some mistakes. But I, that struck me that he did that. Now, I have no idea if Mr. Mikowski was a Christian or not. But I know that in that moment, what he did was a very Christ-like thing. He forgave me. He let me off when I should have been punished. Whatever he had said, if he would said it's a detention after school, I'd have been like, fine, I deserve that. If he said you lose recess tomorrow, fine, I deserve that. If he'd suspended me for a day, I knew I deserved whatever it was he was going to hand out. And yet, he didn't. Well, it's the same way with God and us, because we've all sinned. We have all done the wrong thing at one point in our life. In fact, I would say at several points in our life, and probably at several points even already this morning, we've done the wrong thing. We've had a bad attitude. We've treated somebody in a way they didn't deserve to be treated. We've done the wrong thing. So while the proper penalty for fighting may have been a suspension, do we realize what the proper penalty for sin is? Proper penalty for sin is death. For the wages of sin is death, we are told in Romans 6.23. That's where we need to start today. Before we get a hold of, of grace and salvation, we need to start that the wages of sin is death, and we have all sinned. No getting around. Uh, the passage I'm preaching from today is Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10. And we'll start with the first three verses. So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The beginning of this passage reminds me uh, of the beginning to Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. The first line in that book is, Marley was dead to begin with. It's kind of a dark start. Right? But it was very important to that whole story. And so Charles Dickens started off with that fact that Marley was dead to begin with. Well, it's not Marley that's dead in the beginning of this passage. It's you and me. We are dead to begin We were dead to begin with, we're told. We were dead in our trespasses in our sins. Hey, that's the truth about people whose faith is not in Jesus who are just chasing after whatever desire it is that they want. They're actually dead. Now the world tells us that's life. That you know, the people who are uh, you know, going out and partying all the time and getting drunk and sleeping with whoever they want, doing whatever they can to accomplish their goals, even if it means running over everybody around them 
to do it. We're told that's being alive. The opposite of that is actually true. Those people are dead where they stand. Anyone who is under sin is dead. Not physically, obviously. If you're looking at it, you're like, that person's up, they're walking around, they're not dead. But spiritually, they are dead. And that was us. There was a time in our lives where every last one of us was chasing after sinful desires. Where we were committing sins and not caring about it as we did it. I know I did that. I always wanted popularity. I wanted to be liked. I wanted acceptance. Um, and I did stupid stuff to get it. I did some really dumb stuff to get it. Sometimes it meant making fun of another person so that they looked worse than I did. Sometimes it meant physically endangering myself and others. I used to, I, I still drive a little fast, but I really used to be a crazy driver. There was one point in my car, uh, I had four kids and we were chasing down, uh, I went to a small hick town, uh, you know, I lived in a small hick town, we had a rival hick town down the road, um, and the, the thing that we did was we would go down to that town on, on homecoming, drive down their main street, screaming and hollering and honking our horns and everything. And uh, some, one of the, the other kids decided that he was going to try and interrupt our ch- train. So I started driving, chasing him down, saying, we're going to catch this kid. We're not going to let him get away with that. And I took a little shortcut. And if you've ever seen in the movies where like the cop car just like comes out of nowhere and hits the brakes in the middle of the street, and then somebody has to go around... All right, like that's what I did. I took this shortcut. I hop out right in front of this truck because not thinking about you know the consequences that could happen, but because I'm cool and oh look what I did, and I constantly did bad things like this all for attention. I risked other people's lives so that I looked cool. Right, we were all doing this. We have to start off with the right frame of mind as we go through this passage. Once again, if we are really going to understand salvation and understand grace and realize how amazing it is, we have to start off knowing what we should have gotten. We deserved death. We deserved that because of the sins we committed. And even more than death, it says that we're more than just dead but that we're children of wrath. We were children of wrath. It's repeatedly promised throughout the Bible that those who do evil will suffer under God's wrath. That was us. Worthy of wrath. See, we wouldn't be able to stand before God and say, hey, we don't deserve wrath. We couldn't sit there and say, we deserve to be saved. We're so good. When we if we were to stand before God and realize His holiness and how evil our sin was and how far that separated us from God, nobody would be standing there saying they didn't deserve wrath. No, we deserve that from God. We deserve God's justice. And that would be much worse to stand before God realizing we'd done something wrong than it was for me as a little second grader standing before my principal realizing I'd done something wrong. It's far beyond that to stand before a holy, perfect God as a sinner. 
The prophet Isaiah had that experience in Isaiah 6. He has this vision and he sees God on the throne. And as soon as he realizes who it is that he sees and what it is that he's seen, this is what comes out of his mouth. He says, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah was a prophet. If you looked at him from the outside, you would say he is a good man. And yet even he, when he is before God and sees God's glory and sees how amazing he is and how perfect he is, he realizes that he is the exact opposite of that. Woe is me, I am lost. He realizes that he should be dead where he stands. That's what we need to realize. That's us. We deserve death. We deserve wrath because of our sin. Let's continue on though, because this passage takes a drastic turn in the next verse. Ephesians 2 verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That's a drastically different tone in the beginning. We started off that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. God didn't leave us there. He didn't leave us dead. No, it says He raised us up. In Christ Jesus. Let that sink in for a minute. That's amazing. Now, notice who it said raised us up. And we didn't raise ourselves. It was God who did it. it said that we were saved by grace. Alright, a dead person can't save themselves. A dead person can't do anything. I don't know if you've ever been around a dead person or not. I've been around a few. Okay? They don't do anything. They lie there. Right? They don't get up. They don't wave. They don't start dancing around. They're dead. They can't do anything on their own. It would have made for a very interesting human anatomy lab in college had a dead person been able to get up and move around. Excuse me, sir, could you sit back down so I could finish dissecting your forearm? That'd be great. Thanks. No. All right. Dead people can't get up and they can't move around and they can't bring themselves back to life. That power is not within them. Salvation is entirely God's doing. It's not our own. A grace, it says, by grace we have been saved. Grace by definition is this unmerited favor. You can't earn grace. It's not grace if you earn it. It's payment for what you did. Grace is unmerited 
favor. There's a line in a Mumford and Sons song. Uh, I'm a Mumford and Sons fan. Uh, anyway, the song Roll Away Your Stone, uh, the lyric goes like this. It says, it seems that all my bridges have been burned. But you say that's exactly how this grace thing works. That's the point. Is Our bridge to God, it's burned. It's long gone and we can't rebuild it. We couldn't earn our way somehow back to God. We had to have God's grace. We had to have His unmerited favor. It's not works and grace. It's not money and grace. It's not good looks and grace or anything like that. It is grace and grace alone that we are saved. We are made alive in Jesus. We're made alive, and then we're seated where? With Him. We are seated with Jesus. And if you go actually back to chapter 1 before this and leading up to this, Paul says that Jesus has been raised and seated at the right hand of God. And that He's above all authorities and all dominion. He has been raised up there, and we have been raised and seated with Him. That's the exact opposite of wrath. The wrath that we deserve. Instead, we are seated with Jesus. And now, once again, this is a little bit of a, uh, a spiritual reality, if you will. We're obviously not all sitting in heaven right now with Jesus. That'd be wonderful if we were, but we're not there yet. But what this is saying is that we are there. Our salvation is taken care of. It's permanent. We are seated with Jesus. Jesus isn't going to be dethroned. He's not going to be removed from heaven and neither are we if our faith is in Him. We are seated there. Now I said we are seated with Him above all authority and dominion. That doesn't mean, don't take that out of context, that doesn't mean we don't have to obey traffic laws or uh, not pay taxes or anything like that anymore. Please, we still have to do that. Um, God wants us to do that. But it's a great reality to know that your faith is in Jesus, that you are already raised. You are no longer dead. Grace and salvation are not just some one-time thing. They go on and on and on and on. And the, the benefits of it go on into eternity. Told that there that the riches that God's going to show us the riches of his grace and whatever you know those riches are they're immeasurable so i can't sit here and describe it to you because it's immeasurable it's more than we can think it's more than we can imagine it is whatever the, the riches of god's grace are we'll be experiencing it for eternity in the ages to come it says oh, again that's so different from the way this passage started when Paul tells us what we were, what our former state was, as opposed to what our state is once we have our faith in Jesus. Let's continue on in the passage, now Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. So, in verse 8, we're back to the fact that it is by grace we've been saved. Earlier, we were just talking about we were dead, so we really didn't have a part in our salvation. That was the great part, or that was grace. We didn't have a part in our salvation. It's unmerited favor. By grace, you and I have been saved through faith. Okay, so the grace isn't just bestowed upon everyone and just everywhere. Okay, it comes, we are saved by grace, but it's through faith. Through faith in Jesus. Because the wages of sin is still death. That didn't change. The wage of sin was still death. It's a matter of where does the punishment land? The punishment landed on Jesus. God poured his wrath out on Jesus. And if your faith is in Jesus, then he paid the price of sin for you. Not to say that there aren't still consequences when we do sin. Certainly there are. But we are forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross. If you want to see evidence of God's grace, then look at the cross. Because that should have been us. We should have been taking that. That should have been poor. That wrath, that death should have been on us. Instead, it was on Jesus, God's Son. Alright, so, where does that leave us? We are saved by grace. We are saved through faith. We're told that, that that is not from us. The grace and the faith are not from us. Right? It's the gift of God. This passage changed me completely when it came to how I viewed salvation. Because I used to view salvation as this, oh, it was my, certainly like grace was God's gift to me, but the faith was mine. I did that. That was my faith. Me, me, me. But this passage actually takes that away. Because if you look at it now, I normally don't get into Greek grammar, so a little bit of a warning here. We're going to get into Greek grammar real quick, all right? Because uh, the New Testament was written in Greek and it actually uh, makes this point very clear if you look at it this way. All right, so in Greek grammar, nouns um, nouns have a gender, right? So we don't have this in English, but if you're uh, talking in French or in Spanish or uh, the Romantic languages, uh, for example, chair could be masculine or feminine. To us, it's not. Uh, different nouns do. Faith and grace are both feminine nouns. They're both feminine nouns. That means uh, any pronoun used for faith and grace would normally be in, would also be a feminine pronoun. So we think of this like, sorry to give you a, a <laughs> grammar lesson here. I know not everybody's into it. Um, but, so we have these as well. So for example, he is a masculine pronoun. She is a feminine pronoun. Okay. So that we would, if we were talking about a, something feminine, we would normally use that feminine pronoun. 
However, here, faith in grace, feminine, then this, that word this in verse, uh, go back to it here, in verse um, 8, it says, and this is not your own doing. You would expect this to be feminine if it was talking about either grace or faith. But instead, it's neuter, meaning not masculine or feminine. Alright? So, what that would mean then is that this, when it says this is not your own doing, it's not talking about just grace or just faith, but the whole situation is not your doing. Okay, does that make sense? I, I think I lost a couple of you there. Sorry. But, but the, the Greek word for this is neuter in the original text. So if you were to look at it, you would say, hey, it's not talking about just grace or just faith not being our own doing, but that the whole situation is not our doing. And that changed me because it made me realize that even that faith that I had, it wasn't me. It wasn't because I was so smart I figured it out. And oh, this must be the only way. No, even that, that I came to faith, was God's doing. That changes us. When we realize that, that totally changes us. Because all of a sudden, we have no room for boasting in our salvation at all. That's what Paul said right there. That no, it's not by works. That no one may boast. We cannot boast because it isn't our doing. Our salvation is purely by God's grace. It takes out all pride. We can't be proud in our salvation. We should be humbled by our salvation. We should be humbled by the grace given to us. And sometimes people get the wrong idea, say, oh, my salvation's not by works, and therefore they think they don't, shouldn't have to do any good works at all. Or the, the fact that they're like, oh, I can believe this and yet still go on living this other way, the way I used to live. But that's not true either. And Paul puts a, a pretty quick end to that argument with the last verse in this. In verse 10, he says, uh, or, uh, yeah, verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk. So our salvation is only through grace. It is grace alone that saves us, but that doesn't mean that we get to just do whatever we want and live whatever way we want. No, God has prepared good works for us to walk. So that should be another change that we see. Not only does salvation being by grace alone mean that we can't boast, but that should get us fired up to be like, all right, what can we do? I didn't deserve this, and yet I've been given it anyway. How am I going to respond to that? There's one of the answers. God prepares good works for us to walk in. Now, we're going to do these good works. Why? Not because we can be saved by them. We've already established that. These good works don't save us, but they come out of the fact that we have been saved. That we realize that we were worthy of wrath. That we were dead and we deserved to stay that way. And yet, God raised us up and showed grace. You, you wouldn't see somebody rescued by someone and then just have them go, oh, hey, Thanks, you know, I'll talk to you later. See you. Nobody would respond that way. If, if someone saved you from drowning, 
It wouldn't just be a real quick, oh, thank you for saving me from drowning. It would be, what can I do for you? You know, what can I, how can I ever repay you for this? And of course, you can't repay them for it, and we can't repay God for what He has done for us. But yet, it still should change us, and it should change our actions. One thing that I can certainly think of is we, we should be telling people what God has done for us. If we have received that salvation, we should be telling people so that God is glorified, but also so that they can hear about Jesus. Because if their faith isn't in Jesus, then they are still dead. They are still children of wrath. They need to hear the Gospel too. They need to hear its power. They need to see its power in your life. So we're already kind of well into the application portion of this. But I want to make the application very clear. So let me restate these things. First, we don't have any ground to boast before God for salvation. Okay? Instead, instead of boasting before God, we should be praising God. That is the first application I can give them. It's been a big application to a lot of our sermons so far as we've gone through the storytelling. That as we see God and how He has moved in the story, uh, in our story, in His story overall, that we should be moved to praise Him. And rightfully so. I, every time we look at what God has done, but especially in light of what He has done in our lives, we should respond in praise and in worship. We should respond, as I just said a couple of minutes ago, by telling people about what God has done for us. We should tell them. They need to hear it just as bad as we once needed. And then, we should respond by doing these good works that God has prepared for us. Yeah, I don't know necessarily what the good works are He's prepared for you, other than I know it will involve loving Him and loving other people. So it might be taking care of the sick. It might be just hanging out with a friend. It might be helping them fix their car. It might be... You know, I mean, again, there's just a million things. It might be mowing their lawn when they can't. There's all these good works that we need to be looking out for that God has prepared for us beforehand to do. We are His workmanship, it says. He created us to do these things. Everyone's big on the whole pay it forward idea. Yeah, someone did something nice to me. Yeah, they bought me groceries, and the only thing they asked was that you know I therefore do this for someone else next time. You know, whenever I have the money and I see that someone else is in need, that's going to be my payment to them. I'm going to pay it forward. All right, it's a nice sentiment, right? But God has done something so much bigger than that for us. He has saved us. We didn't deserve it. We had done nothing to deserve it. So therefore, our response should be to walk in these good works. Again, we're not going to do this perfectly. Okay? We're not going to be just suddenly be perfect and not sin anymore. 
But it, it's different. It's different now. We know we can come to God and we're told that we can confess our sins to Him now because He is faithful and righteous to forgive. And we don't have to live selfishly anymore. God has freed us from that. He has freed us to do good works, to live sacrificially. Finally, I can't end a message on salvation and grace without extending an invitation to those of you who do not yet have faith in Jesus. So if that's you, if you know that your faith isn't in Jesus, if you know that where you are right now is in a position where you are dead, where you are under God's wrath right now, then please know that that can be changed in a moment by placing your faith in Jesus. That He died on the cross for the payment of your sins. And if you believe that, then you are forgiven. Then you receive God's grace. If you decide you wanted to do that today, please tell Joey or myself or Joffrey because we would love to celebrate that with you. Because God's grace is amazing. Didn't deserve it. And when it hits you and it changes you, you'll never be the same. I promise you.